With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Sam in, caller out on the Purple Insider Podcast presented by Soda Stick and Birdie Golf. Welcome into the show. Make sure to subscribe to the show. Leave a five-star rating and review. Good to have you with us today on a Wednesday. And uh, I couldn't do a show without my old right-hand man, Arif Hassan, from the old, now-defunct football machine, frequent guest on the Purple Insider podcast. Arif, happy summer to you. How are you holding up? I'm holding up pretty well, man. How about you? Hanging in there as well. We talked a little bit um, off air that my summer's basically been chasing around two kids and trying to find the little moments in between. The, the um, two variables, right? The two variables, yeah, yeah, as they're better known. Yeah. You had your big Iceland trip last time, so I imagine that that's kind of been like the peak of the summer oh, and just a close. steady decline yeah. from there um, yeah, everything into training is, camp. Everything else has been a disappointment. <laughs> you don't wake up with fjords on the horizon in uh northeast minneapolis uh, yeah not recently uh, it's, it's been a couple thousand years i think so <laughs> well it's good to have you on he's uh writing for the athletic.com at arifasan nfl on twitter his handle where he tweets abundantly he tweets healthily there's a lot of tweets um and it's all good stuff so arif we're doing an underrated uh, training camp storyline series today. I thought we'd tackle one defensive position, one offensive position uh, on defense. Let's talk a little cornerbacks. What do you think about that? Um, it's let's hard to say. Cornerbacks. Yeah. Yeah. I love some good cornerback talk. It's hard to say what falls under the like properly rated storyline and underrated storyline, because we kind of talk about cornerbacks a lot. Like it's a pretty important position and I think that a lot of the storylines that we could bring up are already being talked about. Like, you know, is Patrick Peterson going to have a resurgence? That's not underrated. That's a huge storyline. Um, maybe a little bit Mackenzie Alexander. Like, how is he going to fare in the slot? Why don't we start there? Because everyone's talking about Peterson. Um, not as many people talking about Alexander. Like, is he is he a shoe in to play as well as he did in 2019 and be a stalwart? In the nickel, why don't we we begin with McKenzie, who returns to the Vikings on that one-year deal after the year off in Cincinnati. What do you think about Alexander? I mean, I, I like him, and I thought it was a, a pretty smart deal for the Vikings to to sign him, especially it's only a one-year deal. You don't have to worry about liability in the long term, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a bit. But, um, yeah, I mean, uh, he didn't actually perform all that poorly, right, in uh, in Cincy. I mean, he was, he was about an average-ish slot corner, which has its own value. Um, and I think that there's a pretty decent chance that the Vikings signed him thinking he was going to be maybe the fourth corner. Like it, it didn't like when, when he was signed my head went, Oh yeah, he's going to be the starting nickel. But kind of as the offseason progressed, I was like, I, they might've signed him to be the fourth corner. Um, you know, grabbing Bashad Breland kind of complicates that. 
Uh, and then, of course, the Jeff Gladney stuff happened this offseason, and that really kind of creates, um, unfortunately, it creates an opportunity for Mackenzie Alexander. Um, so I don't really kind of know what his standing on the roster is. I think he signed thinking he was going to get some pretty significant playing time, but we could be in a situation where, uh, you know, he's, he's rotating kind of like Terrence Newman and Trey Waynes did, you know, a couple of years ago. Um, so, uh, or, or Terrence Newman and Mackenzie Alexander. Um, so yeah, it, it's, it's, uh, I, like, I think that he's an average level nickel corner if he plays like 700 stamps for how many nickel corners play these days, that's probably a fine thing for the Vikings, especially when you compare them to last year. Um, but I think the Vikings kind of expect more from the position, which is why, you know, they go after Patrick Peterson and Bashad Breland and, and why when you have Jeff Gladney on the roster, you grab another nickel and all that. Um, now they've already had to test the depth because of the Gladney thing, but um, I'm, I'm still not sure he sees the field for, for seven, 800 snaps. It might be three, 400 snaps. Interesting. I, I did like that they challenged Gladney with a competitor before the Gladney news came out because I thought that Gladly, Gladney needed someone to sort of push him a little further and someone to back him up, to be quite honest. And we know yeah. that you know Mike Zimmer has alluded to this. He's kind of fed up with cornerbacks getting hurt, and they wanted that depth. He wanted to have, I think, all six cornerbacks that could play at a high level. And you know, he almost had that. If Gladney was on this roster, they would have five solid and then one probably pretty decent backup, whether that's Chris Boyd or Harrison Hand. We can get to that in a bit. But, I mean, do, do you see anyone capable of playing the inside as well as we've seen Alexander do it? Because I think Breland has the capability, but he's not the preferred inside option. He has a better track record as a boundary corner. Yeah, Ederson yeah. is an outside corner. Dantzler's an outside corner. So, I mean, we'd be getting down into the like the Perry Nickersons and maybe Harrison Hand as other inside options. Um, it feels to me like Alexander is probably not going to be unexpectedly unseated um, as the starting nickel. Is that fair well, to say? It, it kind of depends, right? Because we didn't actually get to see where Breland was lining up in camp. Now, we know from talking to you know our friends covering the Kansas City beat and also you know just taking a look at the pro football focus data and all that, that Breland was better on the outside, that that's his preferred position, um, and that he's more of an outside guy. But, I mean, you consider two things. One, um, you know, that the Vikings haven't really given us too much of an indication of what Breland is, unless I missed a presser, in which case feel free to correct me. Um, but two, um, you know, Breland took a while to sign. Right. And because he wanted, uh, you know, a, a capacity to start. And it might be the case that when he visited the Vikings and left, right, because he left the Vikings without a deal, it might be because, you know, they, they said, hey, we think you could be a rotational nickel guy. And he said, yeah, I'm not really feeling that. I think I can get a starting position elsewhere. When he didn't, he might have come back to the Vikings. So I don't actually know that the Vikings don't think that he should be in the nickel or anything like that. I agree that it's probably a poor use of who he is and what he is. Um, and the Vikings might be getting like stacked up on outside guys without that, that many inside guys. But I, I think that Breland is a genuine competitor for that slot role, especially in light of the Gladney news. So I think that that's, you know, one thing to consider. I guess the other one, yeah, I mean, Mackenzie Alexander is the most experienced in the slot, especially in a Vikings type system. So that's nice to have, especially for a notoriously difficult spot to learn in a Zimmer system. Um, but um, I, don't, I don't know that that it's going to be as easy for Alexander as just taking a look at all the corners saying, hey, those are all outside guys, which I agree with you. They should be. Um, and, and saying, you know, he's only really competing with Harrison Hand, who, by the way, you know, has had a pretty great mini camp and, and offseason so far. This is the Breland quote, June 9, after he was signed with the Vikings. This is his take on it. 
I feel like I can play every position in the secondary. I'm and I'm adding on right now. Wow, you can play safety. That's amazing. Um, but you got, and then this is back to Breland. But you got to be a master at one before you're a master at none. And I feel like they brought me in to be an outside corner. And that's what they want me to bring to this team, bring my physicality and really allow myself to come in, help these young guys, et cetera, et cetera. So he thinks outside guy, which makes sense. Like, sure. I mean, look at the money. You know, there's there's good <laughs> slot guys sitting, still sitting out there that are, you know, really good at their job and they're not going to make much of anything this year. And then you've got outside guys like Patrick Peterson that are 30 plus and in decline signing $8 million deals. That's you want to be the outside corner for sure. So I get it. I get why Breland would want to continue bolstering his value. Let me ask you this though, because we've touched on, you know, Alexander one-year deal, Breland one-year deal, Peterson one-year deal. Do any of them in your mind have a future with this team is this a a situation where two of three or three of three walk if the salary cap increases and the demand is high? Yeah. So we, you said we have three one year deals. We got Peterson, Breland, and Alexander, right? Correct. Um, uh, I think that uh, honestly, I think that all three of them have that opportunity, and it wouldn't shock me if, like, by the end of the year, you know, one or two of them ended up signing long term deals. I, th- I doubt that all three will end up doing that. Um, because there's only so much opportunity available. But, you know, if Peterson, so we talk about Peterson as if he's like old and washed up and, and aged out and, and, and no longer physically fit to play the style of cornerback that he once played, which is all kind of true. But also he's like Adam Thielen's age, right? Like he's not like, he's not like Terrence Newman, who's like 37 and unexpectedly retired at 37, right? It was like to give um, – a Holton Hill, a spot on the roster, essentially. He's like, yeah, I'll, I'll be a coach, I guess. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he he looked pretty good in camp, right? Uh, it's not like Terrence Newman, right? Where, where he's like 37, 38. He's like 31, 32 or something like that. He might even be uh, potentially even younger than Adam Thielen. I don't, I don't really remember kind of who has which birthday. But, um, you know, he might be kind of quote unquote washed up, but that might just be because he played a really physically demanding style of play if the style of play demanded of him in the Viking system does not, you know, tax him too much, doesn't expose him as somebody who's got, you know, physical limitations or anything like that. If he can compete in the Viking system, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if the Vikings were interested in a long-term deal for him. Now, I think it's more likely than not that if he has a good year, he's going to get better money elsewhere because the constraints put on the Vikings by the cap situation, but um, which is actually not that bad. But, you know, I, I think that's an opportunity there. I think it's the exact same hope the Vikings fans have that, you know, Zimmer will turn Peterson around is the exact same hope Peterson has of securing kind of a, a final long-term deal. Uh, with Breland, we know that he's actually produced pretty well when he's been on the field. Uh, and and he just hasn't had, like, that much opportunity over the years, I think. Where has he been? He's been uh, in Washington. He's been in Kansas City. I feel like he's been in one Green of Bay. Green Bay. That's Nickel it. guy in Green Bay. Didn't yeah. go well. Yeah, that didn't go well. Yeah. Um, but you know, he's looking for a long-term deal. And if it's the case that Cameron Dancer gets hurt or something like that, or, you know, maybe he just straight up beats up Cameron Dancer, um, it beats out Cameron Dancer for an outside spot in camp, which I doubt it's an opportunity. Um, you know, maybe he gets a long-term deal and, and, and Peterson walks and Dancer's the other corner. Right. Um, and then for Alexander, I mean, I think you're right that there's not really a nickel corner. If, if the Gladney stuff doesn't go, um, the way Gladney wants it, the way the Vikings prefer it in a way that I think would resolve, you know, helpfully for everybody, um, assuming, you know, that nothing happened, uh, then uh, they're going to need a nickel guy, 
right? And if they need a nickel guy and Alexander performs actually at the level that he performed in his final two years in the Vikings uniform, um, that sounds like a long-term deal to me. I mean, it's kind of hard to find those nickel guys and they don't cost that much. So um, I, there's, there's a really good case to be made that all three of them have an opportunity for that. Now, again, I don't think that all three will end up with long-term deals because now you've got a ton of corners, right? And what do you do with Harrison Hand? It, it seems to be kind of interesting, right? Um, you know, what do you do with Jeff Gladney if he comes back? What do you do with Cameron Dancer? You know, I, I don't know that that's going to happen, but I think that there's certainly an opportunity that, that somebody uh, comes out of this with more than two years uh, on their next contract. And we do have a new note on that Gladney trial or the grand jury hearing. That's on July 29th. They backed it up one week. It was going to be on Thursday. Now it's going to be a week from Thursday down in Texas, July 29th. And then results on August 2nd per the Star Tribune. We've actually got Brian Murphy on that story for Purple Insider as well. Um, Matthew and I disagree on the Dantzler versus Breland. Um, who's going to start debate? I think it's Dantzler. I think he's the preferred option because he's the draft pick. Um, you know, he's younger. The team wants to invest in him. I think he showed flashes when healthy of being a really good cornerback. Matthew thinks they brought in Breland to start. Where do you stand on that? Break the tie for us. I, I, I think when you two disagree, I usually take caller aside, but I, I'm with you on this one, Sam. Um, Thank you. <laughs> well, I'm just impartial. That's all, that's what it is. Uh, but no, I, I I think that you're right. I think that, you know, the way Dan so impressed the second half of the season um, really left a mark of the Vikings, you know, when he was healthy. Um, I think the fact that the Vikings have historically had to dig deep on the cornerback depth chart, sometimes very early in the season, um, has driven their investment at the position, including signing Breland. So I don't think that signing Breland is an indication that they want to change kind of who their starter is. I don't know that Breland has signed anywhere with the indication that he would be the starter. I don't think he's ever signed a deal knowing that he would start, right? It's like the reverse Sheldon Richardson. Um, so like, I, I don't know that that really makes a lot of sense. And especially because again, he, he left the Vikings facility without signing a deal initially, right? Again, I'm not misremembering that. Um, he, and then there were indications either he said it or, or it was leaked that he was looking for a starting spot and, you know, leaving the Vikings is kind of an indication that he was not guaranteed um, or given, you know, preference or told he'd be kind of the favorite to start. So I think that's part of it. Um, and yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I just feel like if teams thought he was a starting quality cornerback, the way that analysts like me kind of think that he kind of is one, um, then he would have been able to leverage a, a situation going through free agency where he would have found um, kind of a, a starting position. So the fact that he ended up at the Vikings um, after a long search, it, to me is an indication that he's probably not the favorite anywhere um, to start. So I, I kind of agree with you, Sam, um, even if we don't take into account kind of the draft capital, right? Cause he's like a third round pick. It's not like a huge amount of draft capital, but even if we don't take that into account, I just think that the Vikings, the way they've talked about Cameron dancer, um, the way that they have kind of approached that position, just generally speaking, um, and the way that Breland's, you know, market is shaken up. I don't really see him as the favorite to start. And technically we're never going to know the answer to this, right? Because if Breland does start at the beginning of the season, it's not like the two of us are wrong, or if Dancer starts, it's not like Matthew Collar was wrong. Cause we're talking about who the Vikings kind of want to win the position. That doesn't mean they'll win the position, but, um, yeah, I, I think for the most part, the, the preferred, uh, outcome for the Vikings is that Dantzler starts and that they never have to pay 
they play Breland. I think that they would prefer never to be in a position where they pay, uh, play Breland. And that Breland is kind of a, a super injury sub slash, you know, if that nickel position's not working out, at least he's played it before. That's quite the scenario where where no one gets hurt and Breland doesn't have to play. But you're right. That's what the Vikings have been craving for years is yes. to have healthy cornerbacks. And it, it's kind of been going on like this for three, four years now where... Remember you know, when Marcus Sherrill's lined up against 6'5 Greg Olson and 6'5 Kelvin Benjamin? I mean, that's how... And that happens yeah. every year that they go to their fifth or sixth guy, like early in the season. Yeah, it would be a dream for the Vikings to never have to do that. Yeah, and I'm more than okay, and I've said this many times, I'm more than okay with having Breland be the fourth man. Like, with NBA has the sixth man, he's the fourth man. He can come in, and even, like, if he and Dantzler are both going to get snaps during the game, I don't necessarily care who starts, but I'm intrigued about who finishes, because if the Vikings are rotating them both in, perhaps, um, Dantzler was a liability late in games last year. Would they go with someone who's a little more seasoned in Breland, even if he's not the starter, that, to me, is another thing to keep keep your eye on in regular season games. You did mention the, the fifth and sixth man, and I want to talk about that as well. Um, the consensus would be that, that Chris Boyd and Harrison Hand would be five and six right now in whatever order. Uh, they were the guys that were occasionally getting first-team reps in OTAs because other people were hurt. Is there anybody in your mind on this roster that can, can bump them off? because the Vikings didn't invest a lot in corner in the draft. Um, they did bring in a couple of low-level veterans, Ty Smith and Perry Nickerson. They signed Amari Henderson from rookie tryouts. Um, I, don't, I don't know if you've done your cornerback scouting reports yet on The Athletic, but does, do any of those names kind of uh, get your attention? Uh, it's coming up soon. Actually, I don't think Ty Smith's that bad, honestly. Um, I, I think that they would prefer to have Harrison Hand uh based off of what we saw in camp i mean harrison hand played well against the ones honestly right uh that's exciting uh you know who knows if that ever translates right because you know it doesn't always but um i i think that it's pretty difficult to unseat hand uh i think chris boyd just has the system experience that's going to give him kind of a leg up on some of these other guys especially you know uh like amari henderson um, I think we saw what Dylan Mabin and um, and uh, Perry Nickerson have put together, just generally speaking. It hasn't been that impressive. Um, I, it wouldn't shock me if Ty Smith takes, you know, Chris Boyd's spot, but I, I wouldn't expect it either. Like, I, I think that um, Smith is probably a step ahead of, of kind of the rest of that group there, um, but it, it's not too impressive behind hand, which is not that bad if you're – fifth cornerback is playing as well as hand seems to be playing you're probably in a pretty decent spot uh and if chris boyd is your sixth guy or whatever you're probably not you know hurting as much as you've been in the past as it were um but uh you know th th there's every opportunity for like amari henderson to surprise or like, like i don't think like the vikings might like harrison hand i don't think they're so enamored with him that like amari henderson comes out of camp with like eight picks uh and ends up with some first team work and he looks good that they're just gonna be like yeah well the harrison hand looked pretty good in minicamp like i don't like <laughs> i don't think that they're so enamored that they're not gonna let you know something kind of change their mind but yeah it, it would it would surprise me if if uh, if there's anybody but hand and boyd as the fifth and sixth guys in that order yeah, and six is usually the magic number for cornerbacks. Vikings yeah. rarely vary from that. Why don't we do some running back subtle storylines on the offensive side of the ball? Dalvin Cook, um, I think he's going to be good. 
That's all we need to say about that. That's not underrated. Sure. That's yeah. is there is there let me pose it to you. Is there anything Dalvin Cook related below the radar that you're mulling as the season approaches? Uh, I actually I guess if I was gonna pick one thing about Dalvin Cook that doesn't get discussed enough, it's that he's been disappointing as a receiver. Correct. I think he should get better at that thing. Um, like he's not a good pass protector, right? But that's kind of like baked into the cake. That doesn't really concern me that much. Like I know there's a bunch of data out there saying the most valuable thing a running back can do is pass protect, which is one of the most interesting kind of analytical findings about running backs I found recently. But um, that doesn't bother me because you can kind of like scheme around it a little bit. Uh, he He's not that good. Of, he's not awful as a receiver. He's not Adrian Peterson, right? He's not that good of a receiver. He's got a pretty high drop rate. His yards per outrun is not that great as... Um, his yards per like catch is not that great compared to other receiving backs. And I think there's just this perception that he is kind of a receiving back and, and he's got like a good totals, right? Like his yards from scrimmage, you know, he was on pace for like 2000, um, what, two years ago, something like that. Um, it, it, it's not like awful production or anything like that, but he's not that good of a receiver. And I don't know that given kind of who he is physically, I don't know that he can't at some point, maybe not hit Christian McCaffrey levels of receiving capability or anything like that, but I don't know that he can't be a top five receiving back. So if he, you know, does all the stuff that Adrian Peterson always says that he does heading into an off season and, and works on his hands or, or whatever it takes for him to be a better receiver. If he does that, I think he enters kind of rarefied air because he's already considered one of the best backs in the league. And if he can actually be better at receiving, then uh, it would, it'd be difficult to argue that he's not, you know, one, two or three. Dalvin Cook in 2019, seven drops, number one amongst running backs, drop rate, fifth worst amongst running backs. Did Hell improve yeah. last year, three drops last year with a drop rate almost twice as good. So maybe improvement in that regard. But Dalvin Cook has never made like a tough catch, you know, like every yeah. every catch he makes is one of those of like back foot. Yeah cousins lobs that occasionally he drops those too but for for the amount that they've tried to kind of line cook up in the slot or on the outside occasionally i guess as a diversion um right he's never yielded even a target that i can recall yeah from like the slot or anything like that no i don't think so i'm sure we could look it up but like for the most part it's been very minimal if any yeah, yeah, like wheel route. I can't think of a wheel route or even even sort of, you know, those those outbreaking um where they line up in the backfield and run straight to the sideline. Even those plays, yeah, he hasn't been super effective. So I like yeah. that you you manage the criticism of a really good player. That's uh, I respect <laughs> yeah. that. One thing before we move on, the one thing that I'm thinking of right here is do you remember when Todd Gurley torched Anthony Barr? And it wasn't really even Anthony Barr's fault, right? Um, but it, it was, it was the game where Anthony Barr got torched by like Robert Woods, then Cooper cup, and then Todd Gurley. It was just a bad showing for Barr, not really his fault in any of those situations. It was just really good scheming by Sean McVay. But the thing that, that got me about that play was in the red zone and Todd Gurley always runs an angle route from that formation on that play. And Anthony Barr had set against it. It was actually really good defense by Barr and, and Gurley just happened to, to kind of break from tendency run an angle route, and then actually flip back outside. Really good route running, demonstrated good hands, got the touchdown. I That's the level of receiving. Like, I don't need him to be Christian McCaffrey, right? Mm-hmm. I don't need him to be what we all kind of imagine Mike Boone to be, right? Like, I, he just needs to be like Todd Gurley receiver. 
So yeah, that's kind of where I, that's the thing that reminds me of that. So yeah, let's, let's talk about the guys that, you know, hopefully we won't see too much of. Yeah. Um, Alexander Madison and Kenne Wangu. Um, I am compelled by the, the latter there, the, the fourth round pick because of his speed. I think that's just a fun trait to have in a running back. And I, I find the juxtaposition between the, between the two kind of interesting because Madison, right. He is a, a hurdler um, at Boise state and Wangu is a, a track star, straight line speed. Um, look at the discrepancy between their college touches. If you recall, Madison was known for these <laughs> tremendous workloads, like 35 carries a game. Workloads. Yeah. In college, he touched the ball 641 times in four years. Wangu touched the ball 150. So that's yeah. almost a 500 touch difference. We we just don't know a ton about this Iowa State kid. So what kind of, of workload do you anticipate him getting? Yeah, uh, I mean, I think, so you take a look at a player like Wongo, you take a look at his build, you take a look at his, um, just kind of his overall skill set and athleticism, and you think, yeah, I can see why the Vikings picked him, they just lost Mike Boone to the Broncos, Um, but like, Cook ran, Dalvin Cook ran more routes than Nwangu had touches, right? Like, that's, that's the level of disconnect between the amount of time that that uh Wangu's been on the field and the amount of time Dalvin Cook has only participated in one aspect of 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 the game, right? Um the same thing with Madison, right? Um so Wangu ran 112 routes, was only targeted 12 times on those routes, and he caught seven passes, seven passes of his entire four-year college career. Um now he's had 11 catchable passes, which means that he's dropped four of them. That's a drop rate of over 35%. So yeah, I mean he's intriguing, right? But like, yeah, he and and in fairness to him, right? He's behind uh, what's his name, Brees Hall and David Montgomery, like two remarkable backs, like mm-hmm. uh, top five backs uh, in 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 college football when they were playing. Like it's tough to get carries in that environment. So um, I, I don't want to knock him too much for that. Plus he got like, he had like a mid career injury and I think he also had an injury at the beginning. So like there's reasons, but we just don't know that much about him. What we do know about him is, is not incredible except for um, the times he's like broken off a 60 yard run for a touchdown. It turns out he is in fact, as fast as advertised. You take a look at what he was doing at Iowa state and he's just running by dudes just, and in a fast conference to like a conference known for really just having speed and not really much else. So like, yeah, he's exciting. I just, I don't see him getting on the field all that much, um, at least on offense, certainly on special teams, but on offense, I just, I don't really see it this year, maybe next year. And that happened with Mike Boone. Mike Boone was a receiver when he signed up to go to Cincinnati, right? And I think he was a receiver his first year at Cincinnati too. They converted him to running back. And um, at least with that background, you knew that he could probably catch passes, but he just, he didn't get that many touches, period, right? Uh, and, uh, and he made, uh, he, he got onto the Vikings roster by virtue of his athleticism and his workouts. Um, he obviously developed the technical aspect of his game long enough or, or well enough to actually earn a spot on the roster eventually, but it took some time and, and, you know, his first year with the Vikings, I don't think he touched the ball on offense once. So, um, it, it's not that dissimilar a path, except for the fact that like you knew that Boone had receiving chops and you're not really confident that Wong does. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yeah, RB3 is probably even a less relevant conversation than wide receiver three. The Vikings don't use much of either, particularly yeah. RB3. Um, RB2 even started getting phased out last year. Madison's carries dropped in 2020 from 2019 um, post buy. He was used so seldom and it continued to be And as Dalvin cook got less and less inefficient. And this happens to him every year. They kind of kept doubling down on Dalvin and Dalvin's certainly a better player. Like even at his worst, he's still really, really good. But um, is there anything you can see in Madison that would like indicate why he wouldn't get more work? Is there a flaw in his game? Is is it his protection? Is it his, like with Mike Boone, it was kind of his vision was problematic at times. Is there anything that Madison's doing wrong? Or do you think this team is just so married to Dalvin Cook as the bell cow back? There's like two things. I think one is that, um, and this is kind of another PFF study came up pretty recently that, uh, from a pure running perspective, the thing that running backs control the most is their ability to generate explosive plays. Um, that that goes from college to the NFL, and it goes from one NFL season to another NFL season. A running back that generates explosive plays um, on on a fairly frequent occasion, relatively speaking, will will likely continue to do so. Um, they can't control how often they have two, three, four, five yard runs, but once they see the open field, they can they can control essentially whether or not that's a ten yard run or a twenty yard run, right? And that is not a thing that Madison is particularly gifted at. I think like his numbers, like his explosion, explosive run numbers are actually not awful. If I remember correctly, um, they're not great, but they're not awful. But you take a look at how he's generated them. And you take a look at some of his best, like 10 plus yard, 15 plus yard runs. And it's like, I don't know how responsible he was for a lot of them. Plus his, I think his most explosive plays were receptions anyway. Uh, kind of like CJ Ham's had like a 30, 40 yard reception here or there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's part of it. So that's number one. Number two, he's actually not as good a pass protector as I think you would expect him to be. Um, his, his physical capability in pass protection is not bad, although it didn't look like he was all that successful this year. Uh, it's really his ability to, to figure out his assignment and, and do what's kind of required of him from an assignment perspective. That's an issue he had at Boise State. Uh, and it, it seems like it was an issue is, is rookie year with the Vikings, not knowing his assignment and pass protection. And I wouldn't be shocked if that continues to be kind of a concern for the Vikings going forward. So pass protection, another thing where physically I feel like he can do it, although his numbers that aren't great last year, they were better the year before. Um, but I think from an assignment perspective, knowing that he knows what he needs to do in pass protection, that I think is one reason that you would see his snaps limited. Does Abdullah make the team? I think so. Uh, I, I just think just because uh, there's there's so little with Wangu that you feel like you can rely on as a running back because it's not as if the Vikings think Dalvin Cook is like an Iron Man or anything like that. Yeah, they ran him into the ground last year, but they're always going to be concerned about injury. And when injury happens, Madison's not going to. It's not going to be a one for one replacement. They're going to look for a third running back to to fill in. If, you know, Dalvin Cook gets injured, and I don't know that they feel like they would be able to trust Wongo with that role. Do you have a case to make for A.J. Rose Jr.? I know you wrote about him in your scouting reports at The Athletic, and you got me kind of excited. <laughs> he was a quarterback in high school. He had um, he, res- he was 18th of 130 
running backs in percentage of runs of 15 yards or more. Um, you're kind of you're pumping his tires a little bit here, AJ Rose. Yeah, when you when you only read his strength section, he sounds like a pretty great. Guy. Well, yeah, there's that. There's that. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I mean he kind of reminds me of like a less, um, a less powerful Lace Seastrunk. If you remember him from the 2014 draft. Yeah, Baylor. Yeah. Uh, there you go. Yeah. Um, you know, the, 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 the running back that wasn't Bishop Sankey, which, you know, the Vikings eventually ended up getting Bishop Sankey for a bit, but um, yeah, like, I think that the, that Rose is not like he, he's kind of a smooth runner, but he's too tall when he runs. Uh, he, he like lifts his pad level up. He doesn't really have a ton of ball security. And he just doesn't have the kind of running style you typically see in successful zone runners, which is kind of this explosive first step. Like when he's changing directions, you know, he looks fairly fluid. Um, he actually kind of looks like a wide receiver. Was he like six feet tall? I think so. I, Rose is six feet tall and he moves kind of fluidly like a wide receiver. And so he runs like you'd expect a lot of receivers to run which is not that great in a crowded box behind the line of scrimmage. And it's not that great for his own running scheme that really requires that explosive kind of first step out. Like that's like a lot of people will look at uh, Alexander Madison's like, what did he run the combine? Like a, a four, six, one or something like that. Um, he ran better at his pro day, but a lot of people remember that combine and they're like, well, I don't know that he's an explosive athlete, but he is right. He hurdles. He's got a great first step. It's really well built for zone running. Kind of like the same thing with Dalvin cook. Who's got, you know, this really great first step in zone running. Um, AJ Rose is just kind of like a it takes time to gear up kind of guy. And when he's at full gear, his change of direction looks really cool and it's smooth and solid, but he doesn't like explode in terms of change of direction. And when you, when you don't have explosive acceleration and when you don't have a lot of power, when you run, there's not a ton you can ask him to do. Like I, I like, I, he was better at kind of reading his box than I thought. Um, I'd like him to be a little bit more creative, but, um, I, I think for the most part, he's not. I mean, I don't think he's going to make the roster. Say, <laughs> I don't know what to tell hey, you. The practice squad is bigger than it used to be. There's chances for everybody. There's chances. Yeah. Um, I, I think the number one like running game underrated storyline is the thing that perturbed me the most last year, and probably more so than a lot of people in my position, but I, I, I dug into the numbers late December last year with just, I think one or two games left in the season, the second down play selection was so like out of whack for me. And and these are some of the numbers I wrote about. Yeah. Yeah. These are some of the numbers I wrote about last year on average teams ran it 66% on second and short. The Vikings ran it 88% like an opportunity to kind of take a shot with one of your two receivers, seven out of eight, they ran the ball. Let me interject to add this second and one is the most efficient down and distance in football. It's in fact better for teams. And I'm not saying the team should uh, design around this, but it's better for teams to be on second and one than it is for them to get that first down on first and 10 for 10 yards. Like second and one is remarkable. And that's because no matter what defenses have to defend against the run and then teams will pass. So the fact that the Vikings run into the teeth of the defense, which expects a run by nature of second and short and don't throw the ball that much is just like, it's malpractice. Sorry, keep going. So second and short, it's a problem. Second and long in the first three quarters of games, the Vikings were rushing it 45% on second and 10 or more, which was number one in the NFL. So 
I don't know if this is like a genetic trait, like if it'll pass down from Kubiak to Kubiak, but th that has to be something that gets regulated, right? I, I, I hope so. Um, but the thing is, I, I think if you take a look at Gary Kubiak's offenses before Houston, Denver, it wasn't that big a problem. So I think it's a Vikings thing. I think it's a Zimmer thing that, um, hey, man, we did what you wanted. We passed on first end and it didn't work. Right. That's usually what second and long is. Right. Like yeah. usually uh, it's it's when you pass on first down and you get an incompletion. So now you're on second and ten. Um, and it didn't work, man. Let's like run the ball because we're not if we don't run the ball here, we won't be able to run the ball, which for some reason is important. We got to Like if you don't run the ball on second and long and you pass, then uh oh, now it's third and long and now you won't be able to run at all, which like running to run is what it seems like to me. But yeah. I think that's it. And, and Zimmer is still the coach, right? So, uh, and now you've got a guy with a little bit less cultural cachet than, than Gary, right? His son is not going to be able to push back as strongly or stringently as, as maybe Gary could have. So uh, I don't know that that gets fixed. It should get fixed. Right. But like, yeah. Yeah. Se second and long running, just, shot through the heart man when you yeah when you can uh when you can guarantee yourself a nice little third and six which is basically like yeah. at the blackjack table they said all right we're gonna guarantee you a 14 what do you think <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like, that's exactly what it is it's like well i mean i guess it's not a 16 but damn come on man <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, that's going to be a problem this year. I think I'll start a Twitter thread of just, like, pointing out every time it happens. 88% on second and short and almost 50-50 on second and long. Um, crazy, crazy wow. stuff. Let's do some headlines, and then we'll get out of here. A couple minutes left with our buddy Arif Hassan. Um, This isn't actually new news, but it's being treated as new news. Aaron Rodgers turned down a massive offer from the Packers, reportedly, that would have been... 40 plus million dollars per year kept him there for five more years he turned it down cold he said no i don't want your money i want to go to hawaii and i want to play golf many times and i want to hang out with my fiance um so now we're approaching training camp we're a week away and i i, I guess that's the next deadline if you will um where you know you might expect something to happen if it's going to happen but the real takeaway from this is, Arif, is that Aaron Rodgers is just turning more and more into Brett Favre. Like, he's he's more dragging his feet. Brett Favre. He's waffling. He is going to try to well, skip hold on, as hold on. You said waffling. When has he waffled? When has he waffled this offseason? When has he done anything but indicate he's not returning? Okay. The poor choice of words on my part. But <laughs> the, the offseason uncertainty is still very familiar. And sure, I don't yeah. know if maybe this is a tack to, you know, obviously get more money, but also, you know, he, he can kind of swoop in whenever he wants and still be the revered starter. Like he doesn't have to earn anything. He can show up September 1st if he wants to. It's a pretty good spot to be in. I'll, I'll say this. Uh, Rogers and Favre are, are different in one really significant way, which is that Rogers does not mind doing off-season work at all. Like he shows up to voluntary workouts all the time, like in previous years. He, he doesn't mind. Like Favre was like, yeah, the reason I'm not signing with the Vikings right now is because if I signed right now, I'd have to be in training camp and I'd have to do training camp stuff. And I'm not interested in that. So I'll sign right before the season starts so I don't have to do practices. And that's kind of how he's been his entire career. Rodgers isn't really like that. So I don't really think that there's – you know, a one-to-one -one comparison here to be made. Okay. Uh, which is not enough. to say that, that Packers fans aren't like 
wrong for feeling like this is a familiar problem, right? Like it is, right? I don't want to take that away, but there are some pretty like significant differences. Uh, the other is like, you know, it's not like the NFL could ever restrict players from getting name image likeness rights, right? Like they, they've always had NIL and, and Rogers's value is enormous, right? I bet he makes way more from endorsements than he ever did uh, in a salary cap environment, right? So I don't know that the Packers could offer him enough money for him to not be able to say, actually, what's important to me is that for the next couple of years of my life, I like the area where I'm working, right? Because for 17 to 22 weeks of the year, um, I'm spending 60, 70, 80 hours a week doing this. And what's money if not for making my life better? And if I can't be in a situation where my life isn't good, where I'm not in a environment, a team environment that I like, there's no point for me making more money because I'm comfortable as it is from a money standpoint. That's how I'm interpreting it. Um, you know, I put a lot of words into his mouth, but they all seem like reasonable words to me. Um, so yeah, I think it's pretty clear he's not going to play for the Packers. Um, the most interesting thing he could have done is COVID opt out. If he could, if he, that's passed, mm -hmm. right? But if he had opted out, that would have been an amazing move, right? Because then the Packers are forced to pay him. Not a ton, but the Packers are forced to, forced to pay him. <laughs> and, and he's not playing for them. And it's very clear, no matter what he says, it's very clearly a signal that this is about the Packers. Like he could, like he could say, no, nah, this year I am just concerned about the Delta variant or whatever. No, no one would believe him, right? And no one should. But uh, that would have been the most interesting. And he hasn't done that because I think he – he wants to try and find a way to like force a Carson Palmer type midseason trade to another team. Um, if I'm adding up right here, you talked about Rogers, you know, having plenty of money. It's not really about the money. I, I think I'm getting about $201 million in salaries since 2005. So he's made a little bit in his career. I think he'll be all right. And, and I bet he's made more in endorsements, right? Like we're taking a look at his spot yeah. track total cash earnings and it's $200 million. And that's not bad. I could live on 200 million. You don't have to give me another cent. I'll find a way to live the next 60 years of my life. If I live that long, I'll find a way to, to live on $200 million. Well, <laughs> and look, look at the, the inflating price of the Milwaukee bucks. He's got a share of that as that's well. That's right. Yeah, he should, right. yeah if got, he smells it right now, he's probably uh, making a profit. Income. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Bucks in six, by the way. Go Milwaukee. I uh, that uh, Randball pointed this out in the column in the Star Tribune. Like, there's really no animosity between Minnesotans and the Bucks. Like, there's not a rivalry there. People, I think, the are generally pretty happy division, about it. Right? Yeah. They, I, I, think that, uh, I think that if they played in the same division, we'd have something. They should play in the same division. I think if they did, we'd we'd maybe have something to say, but it's like, yeah, whatever. That the is, Wolves... and also like the Bucks are hard to hate, right? Like, just yeah. like before Giannis, it was like uh, they've had a um, they've had a Keem, right, and they've had uh, Kareem, right? Like, like yep. that's yeah. Those are some pretty likable guys. Like, just Kareem, generally speaking, mm -hmm. they've been liking uh, for liking. sure. Yeah, um, Giannis is like only the most like humble, likable superstar in the league right now. He's got every, an awesome. Every video I've seen of him this past like week has just been endearing as hell. Oh my god! They Incredible. better win tonight. I mean, I don't have anything against the Suns, but they, yeah, they sure, have to. Not? Yeah, yeah. They, <laughs> this is uh, yeah, your your purple NBA podcast. Um, lastly, actually, no, two more things. Cam Akers ruptured his a or not his ACL, his Achilles. Daryl Henderson might be next man up. And, you know, for, for the Rams, I think they have really adopted that 
kind of running back stable. I don't know if anybody is ever going to be a workhorse in that offense, but uh, Daryl Henderson looks to be your number one. Raymond Calais, Xavier Jones, Jake Funk. It's it's a fairly anonymous room uh, unless they sign a veteran running back. Adrian Peterson, question mark. Yeah, some people brought up Adrian Peterson. Some other people, uh, Nate Kais, brought up uh, trading for James Robinson, which I would love, by the way. Um, yeah, they do this running back stable thing, but they also like invest a fair amount, right? Like Akers is a second round pick. Darrell Henderson's a third round pick. It's just kind of weird. But uh, the most fun outcome to me would be Jake Funk, not just because of the name, right, which is already great. I think he was the best athlete at running back in this year's draft. Like he's a super athlete. Um, and it would be fun to see a super, like if he's, if he's got enough vision, if he's a good running back from a technical perspective, it'd be fun to see him in that style of offense that should give him a fair amount of room to run. Um, I don't know, like, uh, that, that would be that kind of explosiveness would just be like kind of fun to put on the field. If the Rams offered the Vikings a fifth for Alexander Madison right now, would you take it? I know the Vikings wouldn't. (laughs) <laughs> um, would Arif Hassan uh, GM Arif Hassan uh, yeah I guess yeah I don't love it but I yeah it. I, 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 I guess I would um, I'd have to maybe they sign Adrian Peterson I'd have to make sure that we've got a backup but yeah I'd, I'd probably do it find a backup on the free agent market I'm sure there's a couple I think Amir Abdullah can can do well enough for 96 carries yeah, a season. Fair. Not, not a season, Arif. That's six no, my, a game. My worry is the Dalvin Cook injury thing. That's my my worry is not yeah. the 90 odd carries that Dalvin Cook is somehow not gonna get. That's not the like I don't care. Give it to Wangu. Who cares? But it's it's when Dalvin Cook, or if I should say, if Dalvin Cook gets injured, and then I just be like, uh, I don't know, man. Should I call Ben Tate again? <laughs> like, I don't know. Steven Ridley. Oh yeah, uh, he's got divisional experience, right? Yeah. Um, lastly, Melvin Ingram to the Steelers. Are you intrigued? Yeah, I like it. I haven't actually seen a ton of Melvin Ingram very recently, outside of like the stuff I've had to write for National. Um, I like Melvin Ingram. I thought that he was he's much better than the deal that he got, and he should have gotten a longer deal. And he's a very Steelers ish guy um so uh he mean he can rush on the outside he could play in like he at one point he played like 270 pounds in college right and and played a bunch of inside stuff but um the Steelers like smaller outside linebackers and I think that he could slim down and do it um if he wanted to and and he'd be really excellent at that um it's just kind of a really good way to compliment Alex Highsmith um who probably is going to take over for Bud Dupree um so having a rotational guy and they're a third round guy great love it Good move by the Steelers. It, it's too bad they don't have a quarterback. <laughs> Four of Ingram's seven games last year were amazing per PFF. Um, so I don't think this was a player that was like headed toward being washed and then got hurt. I think he was still playing at a pretty high level. So yeah, that's I I, I really thought he should have gotten a longer deal and a better deal. It was surprising that he it took this long to sign him. Also, uh, is like Justin it... Houston still available or something like that? Like he hasn't signed anywhere, right? I think you're right. Um, I'll double check on that. But yeah, he's one of those names that's just been sitting, sitting, sitting out there. He does say he's a free agent, age 32. Uh, Yeah, yeah, he's one of the last kind of big names out there. Yeah, kind of weird. All right, Mm. sure. Before I let you go, are you willing to share 
a Mr. Mankato preference. I know we're a week out and we don't even have the odds yet. So you can't like make yeah, your value right. bet. Yeah. So with the right to change the opinion later, do you have any tells or any kind of uh, gut instincts on this? I saw you tweet at Chris Long to lobby for KJ Osborne to be made a candidate. And I get it. And I, from the principle of thing, I agree with you, but I just don't appreciate you, um, you know, kind of trying to mess with the process. I was asking for a friend. Didn't you read the tweet? I I made sure to say that. Yeah, sure. May or may not be for me. Friend named Am Sextrum. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) um, That is my alter ego. Yeah. I think, uh, um, but yeah, I, I, I like the Osborne pick just generally, but I think that uh, I'm going to go with Blake Prohl. I really like what I saw from him in college. I didn't see a ton from him in camp, but I thought he played better than Smith Marset and WAP. And I mean, Dan Chisna is not really a, a ton to overcome there. So uh, yeah, I like Blake Prohl. Okay. I appreciate that. You're probably getting better odds on him, like 15, 20 to one. That's probably yeah. a better bet. Osborne, if eligible, I would I would put probably in the top five candidates. I mean, or top five odds along I, with. I think him and Amir Smith Marset. I think the odds for them will be extremely. Yeah, um, Wah, Wah, difficult. Wah, to make I think out. would be up there as well, just because of the name. Just because, well, the position. I mean, you can yeah, make noise yeah. as a running back. That's true. Yeah, 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 in the preseason. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. So, um, we will. Oh, and Kellen Mond. Nope, sorry, he's too high no, to take. Third round pick. Doesn't right? It's like fifth round pick. My bad. Yeah. My bad. Um, Arif Hassan writing about the Vikings at the athletic and the national football league at large at the athletic. Uh, I'm sure you will hear from him again. Once training camp comes around one week from now, Arif, we'll see you out there at TCO. Yeah. See you then. I'm Sam extra Matthew collar back in, I believe tomorrow. This has been the purple insider podcast. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon. <laughs>